Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. Welcome and thanks to my guest for today, Dee Francis. As Dee and I batted around recipe options for this episode, I couldn't keep up with all the influences on her cooking. At different points, Dee mentioned Moroccan, Greek, Iranian, and Jewish heritages. I was fascinated by this unusual blend of influences. However, Dee taught me that a direct result of the unique history of the Jewish people is that Jewish cooking is the best of the world's flavors and techniques. As a professional baker and successful blogger, no one is more equipped to spread the knowledge and love of Jewish food with us than Dee. I'm so honored to have her as a guest today, and again in a bonus episode to be released Friday, where she'll give several key tips to all aspiring bakers. Thank you for taking the time to get on the phone with me. I want to introduce you a little bit to my listeners and just say that one thing I know for sure about you is you are a person with a very generous spirit because the same day that I announced that I was going to try this, within an hour, you had direct messaged me and offered to help in any way possible. And people may not know this until they go to your account, but you have a very successful Instagram account. You're a very successful blogger. You are a professional baker and it really meant the world to me that you reached out that way. It made me feel like I was doing something of value and that I could succeed if I worked hard enough. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome very much. So you gave me a recipe for your mother-in-law's Greek cheese pies, um, which I am going to refer to as parcels of bliss because they are amazing. So yeah. can you, <laughs> yes. So can you just describe them for my listeners in your own words? The very short and best description would be, this pie comes from the Greek, mm-hmm. like my father-in-law used to say, mm-hmm. and it's filled dough, filled with cheese filling. Mm-hmm. It's crunchy, it's salty, and it's cheesy. Crunchy, salty, cheesy. <laughs> I think that's all you need. Yeah, yeah. but I think crunchy, salty, and cheesy has got to be the divine trio for sure. Yes, agree. Mm. Yes. It definitely hits the right spots. Yeah. It hits all the right spots with flavor, texture, um, and even look because they're so flaky and tempting. They're cute, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Work, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 They are a little time consuming. So they're from your mother-in-law who you described to me as your daughter's top favorite person. Yes. That's Mm -hmm. quote. Mm-hmm. Oh, from your daughters? That's a quote from them? From my older one, yes. Oh, okay. So tell me first about your daughters. You have two? I have two. Mm-hmm. Emily, she's nine. Mm-hmm. And Juliet, just, she's three and a half. Oh. Um, yes, they are the sweetest. Full of drama. <laughs> yeah, three and a half is still a handful. Oh my God, she's the boss. <laughs> Con- she controls. She has us. So it was your oldest, Emily, who called your grandmother her top favorite person, or sorry, your mother-in-law, her top favorite person. Yes. Mm. I was very happy when she said that. I have to be honest. Mm. Yes. She is named, my older daughter is named after Emily, who is my husband, Yaya, who is my mother-in-law, mother. 
Your oh, okay. So she's named after your husband's grandmother, your mother-in-law's mother. Correct. Okay, so did you know her as well? I did. I did. I had the privilege of knowing her. She lived to be 101. She was very sweet, very mm-hmm. funny, I guess. Very Jewish, very Greek. She mm-hmm. uh, embraced me very easily. Mm-hmm. And when my husband said, if we have a girl, I want to name her Emily, that was awesome. I loved it. Because mm, you wanted her to have those characteristics, welcoming, sweet. Yes. Generous. Yes. And I like that you have a connection. Absolutely. Yeah. It gives a kid something to live up to, right? When they're named. I think that from the get-go established a relationship between my mother-in-law and my daughter. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because she was so honored that you had named her after her mother. Yes. And my mother-in-law okay. was very close to her mother. Okay. And okay. we lived in Miami for a while, for three years, mm-hmm. and they were together all the time. When I mm-hmm. worked, when my husband worked, all the time. And I, I love it because, first of all, she's amazing. I can trust her. Mm. I trust her more than I trust my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and she has the biggest ability for empathy and sympathy. Wow. Yes. This is, it's really something unusual. She is. Mm patient and she used to talk she still does but I'm talking about when Emily was younger like three or four Mm -hmm. we used to sit and have such mature conversation how she grew up in Greece and when she moved and about she was a teacher for a long time and about the kids she used to teach and if Emily had any question about earth and weather she was on it Immediately. Wow. Yes. It's amazing. And I love it. Yeah. I think maybe it's just me. I think grandparents, uh, especially grandmother, are so special mm-hmm. and lucky enough to have someone like that in your life. I completely agree because I actually grew up next door to my dad's mother. Uh-huh. Me too. <laughs> Oh, did you? Oh, really? Okay. Well, we're going to talk more about that. So we were so close. And the thing that I always say is, I mean, parents are responsible for shaping and molding their kids. So of course, we have to give our kids, you know, I guess you could kindly say constructive criticism, right? But grandparents just have that ability to think you are perfect. You feel perfect. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's a really valuable thing for a kid to feel. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I really wanted that for my daughter. Uh, I had that. Mm-hmm. And I lost my grandmother. She died when I was about 17. Mm-hmm. This is the one you grew up next door to. Right across building, across building. Very close. Yes. Mm-hmm. And actually, my youngest daughter is named after my grandmother, Juliet. Oh, Emily right. and Juliet. What beautiful names. Thank okay. You. So I was lucky enough to have a mother-in-law that is the perfect grandmother. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Now, do you think that she just um, naturally had a personality that was full of sympathy and empathy? Or do you think that she went through, you know, some kind of hardship? Or did she have people in her life? Like, what do you think it is that shaped her into such an empathetic, sympathetic person? Her grandmother. <laughs> her. Okay. Yes. Mm. Her, her mom's mother. She talks about her often. Um mm. She gets emotional and she talks about how she used to teach her. Um, that was back in Greece when girls, you know, girls and education was not 
as common as it is today, or is not supported, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she supported her and she taught her how to sew and she was very patient towards her. And I think my mother-in-law kind of like embraced that. Mm-hmm. Felt like she would leave, she would let her grandmothers live through her. Mm. If it makes any sense, this is just my interpretation. Oh, it makes perfect sense. Right. Yes, yeah, she wanted to be for her grandchild what her grandmother was for her. And that is really convicting because it does show that our actions, we're talking right. now um, five generations later, right? Yes. Five generations. Somebody's actions have had an impact for five generations. That right. is astounding. <laughs> you know, the choices we make today about how we treat other people. Right. especially our kids, you know, or our grandkids can have an effect for over a hundred years. That's amazing. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, I'm very lucky. You, you know what? I'm glad we have this interview because I don't think she's aware. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not as good with words as she is. So mm, I I'll, see. She'll listen to this. Mm. So now you mentioned quite a few times that your mother-in-law and well, your husband is Greek, and so his yes. heritage is Greek. Yes. But you are not. So tell no. me a little bit about your nationality and heritage. I grew up in Israel. My dad was born in Iran, and mm-hmm. my mom was born in Morocco. Mm. I did not know that Jews lived in Iran, and in fact, from my lifetime, and I know, you know, I've read enough to know it wasn't always this way, but in my lifetime, Iran was, has been a very repressive society. Um, and really its citizens have to adhere to Muslim (laughs) standards of living. Right. So how did that work to be a Jew living in Iran? You know, I'm not so connected to my Iranian family, but for what I know, my family was moved to Iran 2,000 years ago when the destruction of the temple, you know. When, um, oh. And in fact, my, my, my dad's family and my mom's family uh, in Morocco and Iran had an amazing relationship with the Muslims, with their neighbors. Mm. They were friends. They supported. There was no, no and any issues Mm. I only remember hearing good stuff. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. There was there was no that I know of requests or demands to turn Muslim. Um, there was one back in Spain <laughs> during the Inquisition. Yeah, those pesky little crusades. <laughs> <laughs> but none in Iran or in Morocco. And again, I um I remember hearing only good stuff. There's there's a joke in Israel that most Moroccan Jews used to have tea with the king at his castle. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So is is Morocco a mainly a Muslim country? So Jews were the yes. minority there. They just were yes. not persecuted at all. Yes. Yes. Mm. They still are, and I don't think they are persecuted at all. Okay. Okay. And then how did your parents meet in Israel? So <laughs> they both lived in Israel and they came to Israel when they were very young, like as babies. So they grew up in the same culture. You know, at that mm-hmm. point, they were Israelis living in the same very small town. My mom was running for the bus wearing mm-hmm. striped shorts. 
<laughs> and my dad came to her and he said, why are you wearing your pajamas to work? <laughs> <laughs> and my mom basically told him, like, gave him this whatever look. This is not impressive. You need to work harder. <laughs> so he was introduced to her parents. And like I said, she has seven brothers and sister. Mm, mm-hmm. So he was introduced to the whole family. And my dad did not grow up in a very supportive nuclear family. Mm-hmm. He was brought to Israel from Iran when he was one. Mm-hmm. By his father, and his father had to go back because his biological mother was very sick. Um, he had a very rough childhood. He did not say much about it, but he did mention more than once that his stepbrother was very mean to him. He was mm. beating up, and he would not let him eat. Wow. Um, he grew up with a very rough childhood, and then mm. when he was introduced to my mom's family, Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, he was exposed and welcomed to the complete opposite of what he knew. Mm. Um, a very strong foundation, um, eat because I ask you to. And <laughs> he was, he, all of a sudden, he was the older brother. He was the son. It was very important to him. He really appreciated that. And he loved my mom's parents like they were his parents. Mm. And when they had their own family, he cherished it because he did not grow up with it. And I remember growing up, he always told us that how much he loves us and that we are the most important thing and that we are the sun and the star and everything for him. And that mm-hmm. was very special. He was a very loving person. He was never stressed or worried Mm. That was not his character. Everything was very light. He was very optimistic. He made fun of everything. (laughs) He still does. Nothing is serious. Unless you're Mm. dead or you're bleeding and about to die, (laughs) there's no reason to take things so Mm. seriously. Mm. Yes. Thinking right now about how astounding it was that your daughter's life is affected by a person that was five generations before her. Right. And I'm, it's you know, amazing. it agree. is amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. But then I'm thinking about your dad's story and how one family that wasn't biologically related to him was able to totally turn things around for the next generation. So you had something your father didn't have, which first of all, I give a lot of credit to your father, but yes. then I'm amazed because we tend to blame everybody. Yes. You know, and he's the complete opposite. In fact, um, it reminds me of a story. He was like my grandfather. He loves going shopping. Mm-hmm. For him, going to the shop oh. was like me going to Trader Joe's. He <laughs> loved it. Mm. Right? Mm. And I remember one time he came back and he was he was very upset. He was so frustrated. He shared the story that, he was buying some produce and an elderly lady came and she was asking the seller if he can give her some because she's hungry and she doesn't have food. Mm-hmm. And the seller was was not nice. He basically told her, no, get away from me. Mm-hmm. And my dad was so 
upset about that. And he looked at him and he said, how can you do that? Whatever she wants, I will pay. Mm. And he did. And he came home. He's like, I don't understand how can somebody turn somebody away when they're hungry. Mm. He was so, he did not care that he did a good deed. He was just, he did not understand how somebody cannot have empathy. Right. Right. And he, it is amazing. It is amazing. And then he turned things around and passed that on to you guys. I would like to think so. Mm, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, look at the way, again, you're so generous. You know, you reached out to me and to others as well. And I just, I I just think it's amazing to see it both ways, you know, in this one story and families. Right. Mm. Thank you for asking me that. I have not think about that for a very long time. Mm. It's completely in the back of my mind and it's very refreshing and uh, nostalgic to bring it all up again. Mm. Yeah. Well, good for your dad. I give him, you know, a a lot of credit, a lot of respect. And it does show that, you know, we're blessed if we have those generations that have passed things on to us. But if we, if we don't, then we we can try to be that to the next one. Right. It's like we don't get off the hook either way, right? <laughs> right, that's true. How did you, an Israeli woman, come to meet a Greek man? Wow. <laughs> Back in Israel, I used to be a meeting planner for corporation events. Okay. And one of the convention I was planning or so we had some guests coming from the United States. Mm-hmm. One of them was my husband's ex-business partner. He came with his wife, a very, very nice couple. And, you know, he said, he said something like, my partner is Jewish and he's looking for a Jewish bride. <laughs> I said, and where is that partner of yours? And Utah. And I was like, yeah, I don't even know how, where it is on the map. <laughs> Not to mention, there's plenty of Jews in Israel, and there's plenty of Jews in the U.S. also, come to think of it. I know. And, like, I'm in Tel Aviv, and he's in Utah, of all the places. (laughs) Wow. Yes. And then, you know, we went out for dinner, and he took a picture of me without me knowing. I was a bit tipsy because I drank Uh (laughs) with a very wide smile, and then he sent it to his partner. And two months later... I got an email from my current husband saying he's coming for a trip to Israel if I mind meeting him. I did not know that it's going to end up like that. So wait, the ex-business partner is the one who took a photo of you. Yes. And he sent it to your husband, your now husband. And based on that photo, your husband said he was going to travel from Utah to Israel to meet you. But he he had a trip planned to Israel with a group. Okay. Maybe I was a reason to do it. I don't know. That's a nice thought. Um, yeah, and then we met. We met twice, I think. And that was that. Um, that that was that? Like, that was it? You were, you were in love? You knew what was going to happen? Yes. And then that was in February. And then in September, later that year, I moved to the States. And I've been here since then. Wow. Right. Yes. It's pretty amazing. So was that a hard decision for you to move to the States? Not at all. Not at all? Not at all. It was very easy. I I always loved the States. Way before I met my husband, my early 20s, I lived for two years in New York. So, but I had 
good memories. Um, So just to relate to this, to cooking a little bit. So your mom is Moroccan. Yes. Which Morocco is in Africa. Correct. Northern Africa? Yes. Okay. Your dad was Iranian, um, but he came to Israel when he was one. So did that type of cooking, Iranian cooking, influence what you guys ate in your home? And if so, what would you say were the kind of the flavors or the approaches that came into your home? My mom definitely cooks Iranian food, but it was not introduced to our home until I was in my late teens. Oh. Yes. It was mostly Moroccan-style food. Mm-hmm. Again, because my dad did not have much relationship with his family. So my mom cooked what she knew, mm-hmm. which is the Moroccan food. And mm-hmm. later on, we got connected with some of his family. And I tried to deal rice with the peas. And mm-hmm. they have this dish, I think. I don't want to say it because I'm probably going to murder the name. <laughs> it, it's a stew. Uh-huh. Of all the type of greens, parsley and cilantro, huge and chunks of meat and like dried lemons, which is like amazing. Wow. That and does sound amazing. It, it is amazing. Um, I said it once to a Persian girl and she laughed at me. The Persian food is beyond delicious. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. rich and so modest. I would say that. You so modest, did you say? Modest, yeah. It's very um, humble, mm-hmm. and I'm saying that because the Moroccan food is the complete opposite. This is my description. Moroccan food is really impressive. It's like mm. it's dressed to impress. The colors are very vibrant, and you have all the colors: mm-hmm. green, yellow, and red, purple. Everything that you can go to the market, it's on the table. And it has the oil shine to it mm. and full of spices. And, mm. and this is where the colors come from. Yellow from turmeric and green from, like green you said, parsley. And carrots and parsley and beets, eggplants, spinach, meat. Everything you want is in the Moroccan food. And mm. beyond delicious, obviously. Mm-hmm. Very rich. Mm. Oh, really? Rich, like a lot of oils? Yes, <laughs> a, lot, <laughs> a lot of spices it can be mm-hmm. hot, spicy, mm-hmm. and it's super delicious. So is Morocco, um, I mean, Morocco's fertile, gets easy to grow things there? Very. You know, in Israel, there's a huge melting pot because mm-hmm. Jews came from all over the world once Israel was funded. So you can see where the people came from financially or economically by the food. Um so Moroccan, again, there's a lot of sweets, vegetable, meats, spices. And then you compare, let's say, the Yemenite food, which is mostly flour and margarine. Okay, I see. So you know what? This is actually a really good time for me to ask a question that I, I've been wanting to ask. As you know, my husband's family is Palestinian. Uh-huh. And so, you know, you live basically on the same land. And food is very important to my husband's family to their heritage. Like all of us and all of our families, they take great pride in it. I have tried to learn to cook some of it and I love some Palestinian dishes. So I wanted to ask you how similar 
are the Israeli and Palestinian foods. But it seems like you're giving me a little bit of the answer because Palestinian foods would really be based on the agriculture that has existed in Palestine for millennia. And Jewish foods are so much more influenced just in your own family. Your mother came from Morocco. Your father came from Iran and Jews came from all over the world. Right. So Mm. I like to say it's a melting pot. You can go to a restaurant and you can have a salad, which is Arabic Palestinian salad next to Greek soup. You know, my family kosher style is very important. So, mm-hmm. of course, there has been some adjustment to the menu itself. Mm-hmm. But the flavors are there. Everything gets infused together. So would you say that there are flavors or foods or dishes that define Israeli food? When I think of Israeli food, I think of burekas. What is that? Stuff, puff pastry. Ah. Like mm-hmm. a hand, hand pastry. It's so, it's a savory. Mm-hmm. And I think of zatar pita, pita with zatar and... Zatar being the spice blend? The spice blend. And okay. Yeah. Papa and rugalach. But again, I mean, and falafel, falafel is Egyptian and Lebanese and hummus is definitely not, was not created when Israel was founded. So I think... Yeah, it goes back long before then. Because you also have Eastern European Jews and American Jews. Right. Yes. Right. I can say that I grew up in the Moroccan family. And like I mentioned before, they were really, they had really good relationship with the Muslims friends. And growing up, I remember massive amounts of food. My grandmother used to cook huge amounts and everything from scratch. There was no shortcuts. She spent her whole days cooking. Days and days, yes. It was like you go to the market on Monday and then you start cooking for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Well, so I wanted to ask you about that also. So you've explained that Israeli food is a melting pot of many, many flavors and traditions because many of the Jews left 2,000 years ago and then only came back in 49. But you also have the practical issues of, I mean, you have to eat what's grown, would you get food imported from all over? So the Israeli agriculture is very advanced. And okay. we find a way to really produce really good vegetables and fruit, but according to the climate. Yep. There's a lot of dates and cucumbers, carrots, peppers, dill, mm-hmm. pomegranates. Um, you know, Israel is a small country, but it has four different climates. You have the mountain, you have the, the ocean, you have the desert. So different places that can grow different things. And I remember going to the shuk, like an open market, and you just buy so much. Mm. And everything was very fresh. It was like the euros picked up yesterday. And you eat it, and it's full of flavors. Mm. And would you go every day? Twice a week, there was the market, mm-hmm. the shuk. People coming with their produce and sell it, kind of like the farmer's mm-hmm. market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And mm-hmm. um, it was my, actually my grandfather's job to go. And she would, my grandmother would give him a list and he would mm-hmm. buy it. And he would buy ridiculous amount. <laughs> <laughs> like, <he did> not- <laughs> 
nothing's changed about that when you send a husband to a grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Stick to the list. They never do. (laughs) So he would come home with a ridiculous amount of produce and then your grandmother would just cook for days. Yes. Every day she would cook every day. And then like the one thing I remember is that for every meal, especially the Shabbat meal, it was the grandkids job to set the table. She used to say, we're going to be eight. So set the table for nine. She said, somebody might come and he might be hungry. And, Mm. you know, then she would cook for extra 10 people because that person might want to take some leftovers. (laughs) Well, that's definitely a similarity with the Palestinian culture right there. Exactly. Massive amount. Like nobody can stay hungry. Nobody like nobody can be unsatisfied. So. Mm-hmm. And how about your mom? Did she cook? Oh, yes. My mom. Yes. And she cooks amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She she cooks different than my grandmother. Um, she's more open to other things like the Iranian food or growing up. I went into my healthy food. So she was open to start cooking with <laughs> Oh, and everything healthy. So kind of switching back over to your husband's family and the cooking influences that came over there. Do you remember when your husband first took you to meet your mother-in-law? Yes. Um, But the first time I ever met his family, it was the whole family. Oh, you were living uh, my big fat Greek wedding? Big time. Oh, my God. (laughs) It could not be more Greek. Exactly that. Okay. But you were used to the big family thing in I, Israel. Yes. It was natural to me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I fit in very easily, or at least mm-hmm. I thought so. And the one thing I remember the most is that his grandmother, his Yaya, Yaya Emily, she embraced me. She said, sit here. I would sit next to her and she would hug me. And I think she was scared I'm going to take many back to Israel. <laughs> oh, okay. Hmm. But she, she embraced me really fast. And his family is very, very warm and nice. I'm very lucky. I think that goes both ways. So did um, t- do you remember the food at that party? Were there cheese pies there? No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and um, spinach pie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So my mother-in-law has her signature dish- dishes that are phenomenal. And two favorite ones are the cheese pies, obviously, and the spinach pie, spanakopita. Yep. Which is out of this world, really. She makes the best one. What, what do you think is so good about hers? Wow. I think it's very generous. The feeling is very generous. When I try other spinach pies in restaurants, they're very light on the filling got it mostly filo and um she adds onions and dill to the filling oh really yes which i'm not sure everybody does i can see why it would be delicious though because my favorite um my favorite spinach dip recipe mm-hmm. has dill uh, and a lot of parsley and onion in it and i think it's the dill i i personally love dill me too I love and it. I, so have you ever made the cheese pies for your mother-in-law <laughs> or would you, would you venture to do that? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> would she give you her approval if you made them? <laughs> I don't know. Wow. So I make those speech, uh, cheese pies very often because my girls cannot get enough of it. Yeah. And they are addictive. 
Yeah. They are. And, you know, one batch, you get what? Three, four dozen? Oh, easily. Yeah. Because when I made them yesterday, I just did, um, you know, I used the Athens filo dough okay. like you recommended. And it comes with two rolls. Yes. So I, I just. I normally use both rolls. Yeah, so I just did the one because I want to photograph them, <laughs> and I still have half the filling left that I can you use when can I do the, the second. Filling, one. by the way, you can freeze the filling, or you can fill the the the, the dough and then freeze it shaped, oh, just okay. straight out of the freezer and then bake it. Okay. okay, which is what I do. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, I bake it very often. That and the spinach pie. I don't think my mother-in-law ever tried it. Uh huh. That's a very interesting question. Whether <laughs> like it or not. So what made you try the cheese pies? They were just too good to stay away? I had no choice. My family demanded that. <laughs> it was not my decision. It was like, my husband was like, I don't understand. Just do it. Mm. I cannot go back. No, oh no, no. Once you've made those, I, c I can tell you the demand will be high here in my home yes. as well now. Now that yes. I've made these. I can tell you that my mother-in-law, whenever she's invited places, they always want the cheese pies. And okay. they're very time-consuming. And she would make, for dozens, like 70, 80 people. Wow. She would just do it. Yes. Like, wow. And everybody eats at least two, maybe three or but, four oh, yeah. or five. <laughs> for serve. If you're there and you know what you're into, you take as many as you can and walk away <laughs> with that note because it will be yeah it's right. that good it's that good yeah yeah so I I have a couple of practical questions about the cheese pies sure. so first of all you said make sure there's high quality feta you know like the American grocery store feta is very right. dry and crumbly like it's instead of melting in your mouth it gets crumbled and sandy in your mouth yes exactly right so when you say high quality feta which which do you refer to so price-wise, it's much more expensive. Mm -hmm. And it normally comes in either a bag, a sealed bag to maintain all the moisture mm -hmm. in a box full of water, brine water, salty water. And feta originally is from goat cheese. Oh, I, I did not know that. Yes. I don't know. if Maybe the American groceries um, brand is from different kind of cheese, but... Basically, it's kind of like wine. If you like it, use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you like the dry one, just use it. Trader Joe's for the longest time had the best feta cheese imported. Oh. And they stopped importing it. I don't know why. Huh. So what I, do you use? What brand do you use? So right now I use also from Trader Joe's. It comes in a box. Uh-huh. And you, when you hold it, you can feel there's water in there. Mm -hmm. But for me, the way to know if the feta is good, you try it, and if you feel the salt and the fat in your mouth, and it's kind of like melts, yes, smooth texture, mm -hmm. that should be good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. I know the difference. Now, so you sent me a little video um, so yes. I could see the process. The thing that I noticed um, that was different about our filling is yours was much more of a liquid and mine right. was much stiffer. So mine, um, you know, it kept its shape on a spoon. 
yours would not keep its shape on a spoon. So what do you think I'm doing wrong? <laughs> Is that the I feta? I did anything wrong. I think if anybody, I did something wrong. Um, <laughs> probably I decided, I got lazy and I took a shortcut and I warmed the cream cheese instead of letting it get to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It could be that. It could also be, you know, you use different, I doubt we use the same brand of cream cheese, the same brand of cottage cheese, yep. the same size of eggs. All of that makes huge difference. And the oh. moisture in the air, there's a lot of reason. And the temperature of the ingredients. Actually, you know what? I left out the eggs. Now that you're saying it, I left out the eggs. I was, yeah, I was trying to do, that's why mine was oh. so stiff. Okay. Right. Okay. So, but with that said, mine ran out of the pies onto the pan a little bit. Yeah. So it's going to do that even more if I have eggs. So do you have tips for sealing them? No, I'm afraid it happens to me too. Mm -hmm. The only person it does not happen to is my mother. in <laughs> Of course. She's been doing that for 50 years. So we have 50 years to practice. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. You know. Yeah. Now, how deep of a gold should they be? Um, I like to make mine really, like, really good. Like, if I give it five more minutes, it's going to be completely burnt. It, mainly because my family, they really like crunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, you told me to put them back in the oven when I sent yeah. you the video yesterday, and I did. And okay. they were crunchy before, but when I put them back in, and so they were gold, and I put them in quite a bit longer. And what happened is the lower layers became flakier. So it already had a crunch, but when I put them back in, like you suggested, it was crunchy all the way down to that filling. Right. So I'm definitely going to go with your approach, which yeah. is to go so gold that if you go much longer, it'll be brown <laughs> or it'll be burned. It will be burned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's just how my family like. If, if you have a little bit uh, left filling left, you can just cook it in a ceramic and eat it after it's <sighs> beyond ridiculous delicious. <laughs> Yeah. Well, when they came out all spilling over yesterday, my husband and I don't know how many of the kids kept just picking the filling out. See, delicious. my family, they just grabbed the cheese pie and they eat it. And it's funny to see them all like, like waving their mouth. <laughs> now, I could understand why your husband said, just go for it. You'll do fine, Dee, because you yeah. are actually a professional baker, right? Yes. I never had a formal baking education mm -hmm. and I cannot tell you a story about when I was a child my mom baked with me and my grandmother I was not allowed in the kitchen mm -hmm. it was the grown-ups job mm -hmm. my did you feel did that make you feel excluded or were you more than happy to just go off and do other things um I'm, I'm I didn't fight it so much at the time I think when my mom baked I truly wanted to be a part of it Mm -hmm. um, what she would do, she would make me very simple dough from water mm -hmm. and, and um, flour, and she would put some food coloring in it, so I would play with it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that, I have a very fun memory. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, at, at the age, when I reached the age that I can just do things, I just started baking. I just mm -hmm. opened the books when my mom was away. <laughs> I just started baking, and... Um, it wasn't until I moved back here and I got married, there was a period of time I didn't have my paper ready yet, so I couldn't work. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I'm going to go into, I'm going to put all my effort into baking. And I just hit the books. 
I baked as much as I can. I read so much, so many science of baking. Yeah. Videos and lots and lots and lots of blog posts. And I just did that. And um, after Emily was born, I started working for a while. I worked in a catering kitchen as a pastry assistant, pastry chef assistant. Mm-hmm. And then I had, I worked in a retail bakery. Mm-hmm. That was my biggest school. That was, yeah, the great experience. I was very, very lucky because the bakery manager, my boss, he was the sweetest man. Okay. He was so patient and nice. And I came to him when I just started and I said, teach me everything you know. Mm. I want to learn. I'm here to learn. I'm not here to make money or make friends. I'm here to learn. Mm. And he appreciated that. Yes. And he really answered all my questions and took the time to show me how to braid challah or how to make sure the dough is ready or how to decorate or how even to work efficient in a bakery. Mm. Uh, Look, you're wasting so much time and you're going to hurt your body. This Mm. is to do it. Mm. Um, And the funny thing is that my boss was originally from Ecuador Mm-hmm. He worked since his early teens in a bakery, and he learned everything he knows from a Jewish baker. Oh wow! Full yeah. circle. Mister mm. Mister Friedman, we escaped Germany um, at the beginning of World War II, and he came to Ecuador and he opened a Jewish bakery, mm. Jewish style, and he taught everything my boss, and then my boss taught me. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I really am gaining an appreciation here for how many of the world's cultures the Jewish people have imbibed. Yes. Mm. Yes. True. I I don't know. Like my blog and many of my posts are about Jewish baked goods. Mm -hmm. But, and I thought about it, most of the Jewish baked goods are origin from other cultures, like babka. Mm -hmm. You could not get any more Jewish than babka, mm-hmm. but originally it's Polish. Right. And also rugalach, it's, it's the same. It's from, I think, Germany, mm-hmm. but recognizes a Jewish style baked good. Hmm. Do you have to do anything to make baked goods kosher? Yes. So there's such thing as called parv, which basically means non-dairy. Are Jewish baked goods all non-dairy? Not all of them, no. My mom only bakes parv. Okay, it's at par- P-A-R-V? P-A-R-V-E. Parv, okay. Yes, okay. she only bakes parv because they, she keeps kosher and the kosher, kosher laws says that if you eat, when you eat meat, you have to let your digestive system get it out of the system, the meat, before you eat dairy. So you need to wait about six hours. Okay. And when you have, you know, when you eat a big meal, you want to have dessert, you should not have any dairy in it. Yeah. So, and right. you can't have a turkey sandwich if the bread has dairy in it. Right. We don't okay. mix, we do not mix meat and dairy together. Okay. And do you keep a kosher house? I keep kosher style. Okay. <laughs> okay. I can tell you, um, a lot of my baked goods have oil in them, but... Come on, I'm a baker. I need yeah. all the butter. 
is it hard to keep the energy up to bake and bake and bake day in and day out and make new things and post new things? I don't have as much time as I want, but that's the beauty about baking for me. Yesterday, I had to bake a chocolate cake so I can photograph it this morning, and I was beyond tired. Mm-hmm. But the moment I started sifting and measuring, it, it went away. I was in the zone, and I was like a whole new person. Mm. So it could be just me, but baking is really a source of joy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you one more thing about Jewish baking. Absolutely. Um, A lot of baking in our society actually revolves around holidays, American holidays. Uh And Uh most of those, many of the American holidays have Christian roots. So tell me a little bit more about some of the Jewish holidays and Mm -hmm. what 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 food traditions relate to the Jewish holidays. So there are a lot of Jewish holidays. (laughs) And I always make the joke that every holiday was basically... They try to kill us. We won. Now let's eat. <laughs> and Isn't it? They tried to kill us. God won. Now let's eat. Whatever. We end up eating. <laughs> yeah. And um, many of these holidays, we turned our enemies into a cookie. That's why we have ham and passion. What's ham and passion? What is that? Oh, uh, ham and passion is a triangle cookie we eat during Purim. And Haman was the evil man back in Persia that wanted all the Jews to be killed. This is the story of Esther. Right. And okay. um, we turn him into a cookie. Maybe you turn him into a cookie. So what's what kind of cookie do you... Oh, it's really delicious. It's a shortbread cookie that you put the filling in the center and then you fold it into a triangle. But we... I mean, in New York, you see Haman Cashin everywhere in, in you know, delis. But for us... Especially in Israel, you will not see hamantashen unless it's Purim, unless it's that time of the year. Interesting. The same with sufganiyot, which is fried donut filled with jelly. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see it throughout the year, but it's mainly during Hanukkah that we eat it. Really? Jelly filled donuts at Hanukkah time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then matzah, which is (laughs) my least favorite <laughs> um you will only eat during passover mm-hmm. and the honey cake only during rosh hashanah mm, i didn't know that and okay. then you have challah which is every week on shabbat and again in israel you will not find challah during the week oh really only on friday afternoons friday yeah okay mm-hmm Wow. Well, I think we are coming to the end of our time here, but I am so grateful. Like I just feel completely filled to the brim with things that you've taught me and made me think about just back to the beginning, the thought of how the way we act will impact generation after generation after generation, and then kind of marrying that idea with um, just the generosity of spirit that you've shown me. And then just so many of the practical and interesting things you've taught me about Jewish traditions and baking. I am so thankful to you for your time. Thank you so much, Becky. I love what you do. I'm so excited and looking forward to say, yeah, I knew her when she first started. (laughs) I can't wait. Well, I'll just try to keep getting amazing guests like you and see where that takes me. (laughs) That's what it comes down to is the guests. So thank you so much, Dee. 
tell well, everyone where they can find you and all of your your enormous wealth of knowledge. Um, okay, so my blog is One Sarcastic Baker. <laughs> Which is still just about my favorite handle on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. I got so many good response to that. <laughs> that and your tagline. Sorry, kids. Ask daddy for help. Mama's baking. <laughs> it's very much true. I was very serious when I wrote that. <laughs> and my Instagram account is the same. One sarcastic baker and my Facebook and Pinterest. Thank you again, Dee. Have a great weekend. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. The recipe for these delicious cheese pies are on my blog, of course. And make sure you catch this bonus episode on Friday, where Dee gives tips to all aspiring home bakers. I think she'll say some things that will surprise you. And I know she'll say some things that will help you. On my website, you can also find weekly episodes released every Wednesday, or you can subscribe via your favorite player. You can join the storied recipe community by following me over on Instagram and tagging any of these recipes with hashtag storied recipe. My guests love to see their cherished recipes enjoyed by others. Finally, please know that I truly believe everyone has a story to share and I would love to hear and photograph yours. Please reach out. And in the meantime, have a great week, my friends.